This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards, one of the largest sports card sellers on the planet. Greg sells over 80,000 vintage and modern cards every month, including basketball, football, baseball, hockey, all sports really. And the best part is anyone can take advantage of GMC's platform by signing up for consignment services. What are you waiting for? Head on over to gregmorriscards.com consignment and start moving your cards with Greg Morris today. What's up, everyone? This is episode 243 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my X account is at Wax Museum PC. All right, well, this is a great week, and I think you guys already know why. Regular season NBA basketball is officially back. And by the time this episode airs, your team will have already played its first game. My team, of course, is the Pacers. They play on Wednesday night. So my plan is to drive over to my parents' house and watch that one with my dad. I believe this is our 20th straight season watching via NBA League Pass. So pretty much ever since we moved to Florida. And I've talked about it a little before, but Pacers basketball is one of the things that Dad and I have always had in common. And Dad's had a pretty scary year health-wise, but he's on the road to recovery now, so we're going to celebrate with another season of Pacers basketball. I'm pretty excited about that, and, and just know I don't take that for granted. Just like I don't take you guys for granted, there's a lot of content out there that you could be listening to. I appreciate the fact that you've queued this episode up. And I pieced some stuff together that I hope you'll enjoy. As usual, I've got a few pieces of mail I want to talk about. And then in today's main segment, I've got a conversation with a New York basketball collector. Notice I didn't say Knicks because this collection covers everyone from Lloyd Daniels to Sebastian Telfair and so on. I had a lot of fun chatting with Al last week, and I think you guys will enjoy hearing that one. So you'll want to make sure to stay tuned for that. Okay, on to the mail. I do want to start with a quick shout out to Justin and Pat. These are two collectors that sent me some PC stuff this week. Justin sent me a few 2000 pieces that brought back a lot of good memories. And then Pat sent me a care package with a lot of Pacers stuff, some 130 point magnetics, which I can always use. And then a really cool Fanatics authenticated Paul George signed 8x10 where he's dunking over a couple of Heat defenders. So I just wanted those guys to know once again, that I really appreciated that. And then I got a pair of eBay wins in this week as well that I want to run through. The first was a 2016-2017 flawless jumbo patch of Artist Gilmore, numbered to 15. And I own another one from this same print run that I purchased off eBay around the time the product was released. So that would have been, I think, late 2017. The reason I like this patch so much, and don't mind having multiple patches from the same print run is... This is from an ABA jersey from Gilmore's time with the Kentucky Colonels. And you've heard me talk some about the ABA on this show before, whether it's me talking about some of the 70s top sets or my conversation with Scott Tarter of the Dropping Dimes Foundation. 
ABA memorabilia is fairly tough to come by, so I really appreciate the fact that Panini went out and purchased a few Colonels jerseys in the mid-2000s. They've got Colonel stuff for a trio of Hall of Famers in Artis Gilmore, Dan Issel, and Louis Dampier. Now, the Gilmore patch that I already owned has what looks to be a really nice piece of the letter G from Gilmore. I felt like I paid a bit of a premium at the time for that one, but I've always had a thing for letter patches, and the patch I got in this week is not nearly as nice. It's a piece I can tell from the side of the shorts because they actually had a, a, a pair of shorts and a jersey for Gilmore. It's just a basic two-color relic, but the fact that this stuff is so scarce and I haven't seen one in a long time, that was motivation enough for me to go out and get it, and I feel like I got it at a really good price too, so that's a win, and I guess those two cards over the years average out. I thought I overpaid for one. I feel like I underpaid for this one, so that's a win. The last card I want to talk about today is from the same season. It is a 2016-2017 aficionado opening night preview card of Paul George in a BGS 9.5 slab. And if that parallel sounds familiar to you, I talked about it in my main segment last week. So yes, I influenced myself. This was one of the parallels that my player collecting friends told me about. Uh, Like I said last week, I was actively collecting when this product came out, but I had tunnel vision for patches. You know, it's mostly patches for me at that time. It was maybe some shiny stuff thrown in, but uh, I was all about those relics. And as a result, I missed out on some of the good stuff Panini put out. So this current manufacturing situation has motivated me to finally go back and get caught up. So in a sense, it's, you know, I'm trying to make something good out of it, even though obviously I, I wish for something better. But, you know, hey, I, I'll make the best of it. There will be plenty of stuff for me to collect. So 2016 aficionado basketball was a throwback to an old pinnacle baseball set from 20 years prior. And that product had a very rare 100 card parallel. Similarly, aficionado basketball created this opening night preview parallel for the first 100 cards in the base set. And the only pacers in there were Miles Turner and Paul George. I grabbed a raw copy of the Miles Turner on ComC a couple weeks ago for like 10 bucks. That will eventually end up in a binder. From there, I put the Paul George on my save search list. And the only copy that was for sale at the time that I could find, and I I looked everywhere, it was a BGS 9.5 on eBay, which is the one that I've got here. Obviously, I ended up with it. I thought the price was a little too high, but you know how it is. You want a card, you look at it every day or two, eventually you start to wear down. Um, Not to say I went and I just hit the bin, but I kind of thought, okay, I'm, I'm willing to pay a little bit more for this. But uh, still wasn't sure what to offer, so I reached out to Will, aka Prolific Sports Cards, to see how much he paid for his Carmelo Anthony. I figured their ranges would be similar, and then he clued me in on the fact that he got this Carmelo from the same seller, so that prompted me to finally make an offer. We went back and forth and eventually agreed on a price. It was a little more than I expected to pay for this parallel, but I took the gamble that I won't see another one for a while. And I also conceded to the fact that I'm paying a bit of a premium for the BGS 9.5 grade, which I have to confess, even though I don't target graded cards, that's not the, you know, I I don't really, I say target, I don't really prefer them even, but on this one, the grade and the subgrades, they make it feel a little more special. So there will be no slab cracking at this time. All right, before I move into today's conversation, I want to remind you that this show is brought to you in part by ComC.com, and right now they're hosting an NBA tip-off event. So if you've got basketball cards, send them in, 
and you can get 30% off both elite and select submissions. Additionally, if your new elite submissions sell for over $100, you can earn a full rebate on processing fees. There's a lot of good stuff going on there right now. Head on over to the ComC blog and check it out for yourself. Okay, and then real quick, some of you have asked me for ways you can help support this show. The easiest way is my eBay affiliate link. And using this link costs you absolutely nothing, just an extra 30 seconds or so of your time, but it helps support the show. To access this link, simply go to waxmuseumpodcast.com, click the eBay logo, shop as planned, so whatever you're going to buy anyway, just click my link first, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hey everybody, Boston Steve here, the Northeast correspondent checking in from the city of a winning basketball team, and you are listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Okay, joining me today is someone who collects one of the main players in my PC, Ron Artest. And while you might think that makes us collecting rivals, we actually get along really well. And on top of that, Al's collection features a number of other New York City legends. We'll talk about that in a bit. There's a good chance you've seen his collection on social media, where he posts under the handle at NYC Hoops underscore collector. Al, how's it going, man? Hey, Kyle. Good. Happy to be on the podcast. It's a little surreal, to be honest. Uh, you were one of the first podcasts that I followed when I first started collecting. Well, back into the hobby. And uh, yeah, excited to get this started. Well, I think this is definitely long overdue. And even though we've chatted here and there, like a lot of other people that have come on the show, I have a pretty good idea of who and what you currently collect, but I don't know how you got there. So like I said, we've discussed this some a little bit already in the past week, but I'm excited to learn more. So take as much time as you need to here. Let's go ahead and start and just run us through your collecting history. So my first memories of collecting cards was actually 1981. Yeah, that would make me old. Uh, <laughs> I'm 51 years old, which probably would be on the older side of the spectrum as far as the, the collectors on your show. But uh, 81, I started collecting uh, Hops Baseball. Don Russ and Fleer also came out that year for the first time. And I remember ripping a lot of those packs um, I collected throughout the 80s, primarily baseball and football, because those were the sports that I, I played uh, as a kid. Not a lot of basketball, although I, I was a huge basketball fan in the 80s. Uh, I loved the, the, the Lakers back then. The Knicks were terrible, so it was hard to follow them with any kind of passion. But uh, yeah, we collected all throughout the 80s. Uh, my, me and my brothers, when I say we... Me and my brothers, um, it wasn't until 1989 that we started collecting basketball. Uh, that's when Hoops came out with their inaugural set. And the big chase that hit was David Robinson. He was a rookie that year. He had two rookie cards. And um, yeah, I mean, at the time, everyone wanted that card. Or those cards, those two cards, I should say. And I would say that got me started collecting basketball. We collected some Fleer that year. Um, the year after 91, we collected, but then I started college and that kind of slowed it down until eventually I stopped collecting because, you know, I played, I played college baseball between that and studies and my social life. There was just not a lot of time to collect. And also the 90s, I recall getting really tired of the baseball products back then. Uh, that was a jump wax era at its peak, I think. And, you know, it was just not a good time to collect, I thought. Um, everything just was mass produced. I remember getting cards at the department store, at uh, the supermarket. You could get cards at the gas station. Uh, I was just tired of collecting and we, we stopped. I stopped. It wasn't until the late 90s. I got married. I was out of college. I was making some money. So I started collecting again. This time I was, I was collecting all sports and 
my favorite uh, basketball sets at the time were SP Authentic and SPX. Okay. And SPX came out in 99, and that happened to be Ron Artest's uh, rookie year. At the time, I wasn't actively PCing Artest. The chase that year was Steve Francis and Baron Davis, if I recall. That may have been the year they first introduced um, numbered autographs uh, for rookies. I want to say that was the first year. I may be wrong on that, but yeah, that was a pretty big thing back then. Even what they were twenty five, they were out of twenty five hundred. A lot of them for yeah. SPX, so Ron's right? was twenty five hundred, uh, but the Francis and Baron were out of five hundred. Okay, which also seems like a lot today, but this is pre-social media. The internet, especially collectors, weren't on the internet back then. Yeah. Uh, eBay had just gotten started, I think, in 98, the year before. Right. Yeah, it definitely wasn't the juggernaut it is now. <laughs> yeah, I've been an eBay member since 98. And uh, yeah, I mean, the, the Francis and the, and the Baron were the chases that year. And those were the big products I collected. You know, so lower tier products, I believe Fleer, Hot Prospects, I collected a lot of. I just missed out on the good stuff like in, the, in 97, 98. But uh, yeah, collecting hoops was a lot of fun for me. So I guess it was the early 2000s, just before LeBron's rookie year, we were expecting our first child. My daughter was born 2003, you know, the year of LeBron's rookie year. So I had stopped collecting then. We had to deal with more real life stuff. And uh, yeah, pretty much I didn't collect until um, the pandemic. And that was uh, the beginning of my art test PC. And here we are today. And, uh, you know, you've taken breaks here and there. Do you do you think you're in this for good now? Do you have that collecting gene in you or, or yes, what do you think? Yes, absolutely. Um, if the pandemic showed me anything, it was how much I missed collecting, especially collecting for the right reasons. I mean, there, there's always the draw of making money off of cards. And, you know, we do. Uh, I run a buy, sell and trade account with my brother. You know, for the most part, I'm on my NYC Hoops account, I would say two or three times as much as the level up account. So I think we all have our collecting regrets and you didn't openly say like, I regret this or I regret that, but you kind of alluded to a few of those along the way or, or a few when we've chatted before and you mm -hmm. talked about collecting baseball in the eighties, but not, you didn't gravitate towards basketball until 1989. So of course <laughs> yeah. you missed 86 Fleer and yeah. I, you know, I wasn't collecting then or I wasn't even alive for that matter, but I've heard a lot of stories about 1986 Fleer basketball um, do you remember if you even had access to the set? And then uh, what was it about the 89 hoop set and David Robinson that made you really jump in? Yeah, I do recall 86 Fleer <laughs> basketball. Yeah, I collected a ton of 86 Fleer baseball, and I still have a lot of those cards. Yeah, that is a regret of mine. Uh, I recall seeing it at card shops. I recall seeing it, you know, everywhere, pretty much the same place you saw uh, the baseball sets. Basketball cards in general weren't as popular back then. I, I mm -hmm. think baseball cards are much more mature market. It's been around a lot longer. Basketball cards, as you know, pre-80s was, you know, wasn't popular at all. Basketball, the sport in general, wasn't popular until Magic and Bird came along. And 86 is right in the middle of that Celtics-Lakers uh, rivalry. So at the time, it was pretty popular, but the collecting part of it, I, I feel, wasn't quite there yet. There weren't enough collectors back then. People loved basketball. I loved basketball. Uh, watching it, playing it, um, just collecting it. I guess the, the mentality wasn't as mature yet, you know, uh, to collect basketball. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I'm guessing like guys like Jose Canseco and, and Barry Bonds, collecting wise yeah. were more popular than michael jordan Absolutely. in 86 um, Absolutely. 
but the Jordan probably contributed to the popularity of the David Robinson in 89. So he still had something to do with it. It's just people hadn't really caught on yet. Yeah, I would say in 89, Jordan was just starting to hit his stride as one of the best players in the league. He was injured, uh, I think, a couple of years um, after his, his rookie year. So throughout the 80s, it was Bird and Magic recognized as the best players. Even towards the late 80s, um, the Pistons were the team and Isaiah and Rodman and, and those guys were considered I don't want to say they're better players, but they were more highly regarded than the Bulls because the Bulls were still up and coming. They weren't elite yet. Mm -hmm. um, but then, you know, when the 90s came, then that's when Jordan really became who he is today. Um, you know, that's, that's the best player ever, in my opinion. Well, and we had Will on the show a couple of weeks ago who talked about his rankings and put Kareem up there as well. And so I'm, I'm avoiding okay. that landmine. I'm not going to make my claim <laughs> for who I think is the best right now. So like a lot of other people, then you went to college you stopped collecting, you came back in the late 90s and stuff looked a lot different. We had a lot more packed pulled autographs. You mentioned the, you know, the regularity of, of an autograph number to 2,500, right? That was unheard mm -hmm. of. Cards were starting to be serial numbered a lot more in general. Memorabilia cards were coming into play, but it seemed like you adjusted pretty well, especially if, as you mentioned to me in one of our chats earlier, you were sending things off to be graded. So tell me a little bit about the world of grading in the late 90s and, and what drew you to that? It was relatively new to me anyway. I'm not sure how long um, these grading companies were around prior to that, but I was out of college. I was making money. I was probably more into it for the money, I, I, honestly. Mm -hmm. I, I think uh, I was trying, you know, the, seeing the prices attached to the cards, the increase in value if you graded them, that drew me to it. And um, yeah, the grading companies at the time, the biggest and the most popular one, I believe, was was BGS. Um, I think Dr. Beckett was still involved with the company back then. They were the authority, you know, they were the standard in the industry. Everyone had Beckett, everyone knew Beckett. And I remember sending out, they had forms you had to actually fill out on paper. And you had to wrap these forms with the cards, protect them. It's just like you send them in today, but it's nothing is done online. Everything was done, you know, physically, you know, with the, with the sheet of paper. I graded with them. I graded with SGC. And it's funny because PSA, I never graded with it um, because they were a distant third in, in a lot of people's opinion at the time. And mm -hmm. I think they were going through some scandals at the time, too. But, you know, this is a different uh, ownership group, uh, obviously. Right. Well, some things change and some things stay the same. And and Beckett right. kept that paper form way too long. That probably uh, extended <laughs> a right. lot longer than it should have as well. Uh, but then you talked about how life forced you to stop collecting in 2003, which mm -hmm. was unfortunate to say the least. But, you know, yeah. you had priorities to get to. I'm not going to blame you for that. Right. And then you came back again in 2020. So pretty big break between those time frames there. Yeah. Did things seem as different to you when you came back in 2020 as you did when you came back in the late 90s? As far as the cards go, um, no, I wouldn't say that. I mean, there were a lot more, you know, autographs and chromium cards, refractors, parallels, those type of things. Um, it was pretty much the same in the 90s. Uh, obviously, it was the value of the cards that, that changed a lot when I came back. Um, that's what drew me into it. Uh, my brother, who's a lot younger than me, he's probably like your age, uh, in, in the mid to late 30s. Um, he, he's involved in, you know, NFT. He was involved, I shouldn't say is. Uh, NFTs, Bitcoin, that kind of thing. And he, I guess so. he's big on Gary Vee. And he was very um, outspoken about cards. And my brother caught wind of this. He, he knew I collected back in the day. 
And he told me that, hey, you should check out your collection and um, see what you have because they're worth a lot more now than you probably think. So I did that. And, you know, during the pandemic, I had nothing to do but sort the cards. I'm sure just like a lot of your listeners. And uh, yeah, it got me back in. We started our buy, trade and sell account, level up cards. We made a business of it. It's an LLC. But the NYC Hoops Collective part, that didn't come on till later when I realized that like, you know, this is, there's got to be more to buying and selling cards. It kind of brought me back to my younger days, the nostalgia, the sense of purpose, I guess, mm -hmm. um, of guys that you like. Um, I mean, our test was the guy for me, but it was because of the level up account first. Okay. Um, I got back into it. Okay. So hold on to that thought about the NYC, because we definitely, and, and Ron, our test, we're definitely going to come back to those guys. But mm -hmm. I do want to ask you, because you mentioned that you were getting kind of um, concerned or, or maybe not concerned, but maybe bored with the repetitiveness of these baseball cards in the 90s and seeing them oh. at every gas station and department store and so on. Mm -hmm. Did it concern you when 2020 rolled around and then 2021 and we started to see the same thing? Did you notice that? Um, not in 2020. I think at the time, I mean, I was aware of the junk wax era at the time. I just didn't know enough about the industry at the time. It took me a while to learn that certain products were being overproduced again and certain, you know, what products weren't, or just which products to stay away from. But uh, yeah, it, it was certainly in my mind thinking this can't go on forever. These values uh, of the cards at some point it's going to come down. And yeah, it was just ridiculous. I, I mean, look at those prices, you know, I'd be foolish not to try to take advantage of the opportunity, oh, especially yeah, if I sure. had the cards already. It's not like I went out and bought a bunch of new cards. I had a closet full of cards. Um, so yeah, I mean, we took advantage of the market at the time. We saw that it, it was dying down and it certainly has, you know, in the last two or three years. My brother and I, we both, we don't do this as our main jobs. Uh, you know, I run a business. He has a full-time job. Um, we do it as a side thing. And um, like I said, something we'd be doing anyway. So if the opportunity presents itself, we certainly will buy, sell, trade. But, you know, my focus these days is more so on our test collection. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about some of those New York guys, because I go on your page and I see everyone from Dolph Shays to Speedy Claxton. Uh, and so you kind of figured out that that's where you wanted to go with your collection. So tell me, what's your thought process there? Or what's your approach? Is it every player that's from New York City or has played there or just prominent ones? Or, or what's your goal there? Yeah, so it's players that they don't necessarily have to be from New York. It's just that's played and played well here. Before collecting our test, I had collected NYC players specifically, uh, but not consciously, <laughs> mind okay. you. Yeah, even back in the 90s when I collected, you know, I didn't know what PC meant. <laughs> mm -hmm. you, you know how some collectors, they have a box of commons, a box full of stars. Maybe you put your stars with more value in a binder. Um, for me, I couldn't put the New York City players, the players that like Lamar Odom, for example. In a lot of people's minds, he's probably a common player. He never made the all-star team. I, I couldn't put him in the common box. Right. I mean, I know he wasn't a star. So he had a good little run, though. Yeah, he did. But I mean, guys like Speedy Claxton, for example, you know, these guys, I, for some reason, I would just put them aside and then. I didn't even notice they were New York City players. I just noticed that I, I kept putting, like, these guys I, I had memories of, and to me, they weren't commons. <laughs> right. I just put them aside, and then I, I looked at them, the stack of guys I put aside, and um, I just noticed all of them, almost all of them, were New York players and, and guys that I followed when, when they were younger, when they were in high school, freshmen in high school. They're already in, on the back page of the paper. These are guys that, um, to me, they, they weren't common, and uh, that's how I got started. And when I got back into the hobby, I had this stack of New York City players. I'm like, oh, wow. And a lot of our tests, nothing crazy, nothing super rare. 
uh, but I just couldn't bring myself to put them in the comments box where they would probably be, you know, lost forever. <laughs> so uh, I'm looking at your page and uh, there's one guy that I feel like is absent on your page and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I don't see anything from Mr. New York basketball, 2009 Coney Island's own Lance Stevenson. Have you posted anything for him yet? Uh, yeah, actually he's on there. I believe I made a post uh, last year, maybe. Um, I, I don't recall, but yeah, he's certainly on there. Uh, he, he's not in Pacers gear, mind you. <laughs> okay. I think it's a Charlotte patch um, and autograph his. Yeah, he's on there. Uh, I try to cover most of them. Sometimes I don't post them because I don't have a worthy enough card to put up there uh, of the player. Like I just recently posted a Walt Frazier because I, I didn't have a good Walt Frazier card until recently. I picked up a chronology auto of his and, okay. and I thought that was that was a pretty cool card. So finally I got him up. So yeah, like I said, it doesn't have to be a New Yorker per se. He's He wasn't a New Yorker. Um, he, I think he's from Georgia originally, but he spent his whole career here. The years that New York could certainly, you know, look back on and say, wow, that, those were the best times uh, as far as being a Knicks fan. It, th those who are old enough. I wasn't old enough to, to recall those days. But, uh, you know, the New Yorkers that are, you know, will always think of uh, Walt Frazier as being a, a true, like, New York legend. Well, and he has been in the broadcasting scene as well. I mean, he's, yes, been, yes. he's been associated <laughs> with that team forever, so much so occasionally when I see a Cavs card of him, I'm like, wait a second, that, that doesn't <laughs> right. look right. That doesn't seem right, right. to me at all. Yeah. Now, as I mentioned in the intro, though, one of the guys, and, and you've talked about it along the way here, that you look for specifically is Ron Artest. And we could, in theory, be rivals because I do collect. I don't super collect them. I don't have everything, but I collect a lot of Ron Artest stuff myself. But um, it doesn't feel like we're rivals at all. I guess we've done a pretty good job of uh, differentiating what we like. We kind of do like different things. Uh, what are your thoughts when you see guys like me or somebody else that collects the same thing as you? How does that affect how you approach stuff? Um, yeah, I wouldn't say we're rivals at all. I mean, I, I've known you for two or three years now since I've been following your podcast. I reached out to you and to tell you I'm an artist collector also. Um, yeah, I don't think of it. Like you said, we collect somewhat different things, although it's the same player. There's certain things that, that I see in your collection. I'm like, you know, I'm jealous of, certainly. Uh, especially that uh, that one-of-one -one patch that you had, the logo man. <laughs> Oh yeah, um, the ultimate one. Yes, I can't believe how that's number two on your all-time list. I, <laughs> Not yeah, number one. It, but... that for whatever reason that that tin patch Pacers Pistons card, like it, I, I look at that and there, there's just so much like good and bad emotion right, attached right. to that. It, it just I affects me. You're a Pacers fan in general, not so much. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's true. I am a Pacers collector before a Ron Artest collector, so right. that that does kind of influence the things that I go after, and I, I think it kind of works in both of our favors too sometimes because we're not like you said competing for everything that's right but yeah i mean look i, I know um there aren't a lot of us out there our test collectors it's nice that if i can't get anything if, if you get it instead of me at least i know where it is you know maybe down the road i could <laughs> i could convince you to trade it to me or, or sell it to me or what have you uh we also know another ronald test collector that's uh got a pretty loaded collection as well it's so. an insane collection one that yes. we are well i'll speak for myself here i'm very jealous of there's pieces in there that i've i've dreamed of prying from his hands <laughs> that's right that's right i mean he's got 
great, great stuff. And uh, and I've got a good relationship with him too. It's something that I think if we work together, you know, not all the time, obviously, if we're competing for the same card, but we get it. It's something that if it means more to you, you'll step up and get it. You know, if it means more to me, I'll step up and get it. Um, and he's the same way. He's actually reached out to me a, a couple of times, giving me the heads up, hey, this card is available. It's obviously because he has it already that he's telling me, <laughs> but uh, it's something that I appreciate. And I, I think you and I have contacted each other about cards uh, mm-hmm. being available. Um, in the past. So something that um, honestly, I don't take it that seriously. <laughs> right. Um, you know, it's, it's a side thing for me. And if you get it, and if we're going after the same card, and you get it, I'm, I'm not losing any sleep over it. Well, and for the most part, I try to let you go after the Nick stuff, although we will maybe we'll discuss 2013 Prism later on. But I, I do let you go for the Nick stuff. And I wanted to ask you about that, too, because it, it wasn't the tail end of Ron's career, but it was toward the end. Ron finally ended up as a Nick. So as a New York guy, how did that make you feel when all of that went down? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was uh, bittersweet. You know, I think um, it's about 14 years too late. <laughs> yeah. if you, you know, if you know the story with Ron, uh, was available when the Knicks were drafting in 99. And instead we took uh, Frederick Weiss, French center, most notably known for being dumped on by Vince Carter in the Olympics. Um, but other than that, he didn't play in the NBA. At the time, we were coming off a finals run, Allen Houston and Spreewell, and our test would have fit really nicely as their understudy. I think he would have been a great backup at both positions, learn under them, and we could have built off of that finals run. Instead, we wasted our first-round pick on somebody that didn't help us at all that year or in the future. And um, yeah, Ron went on to have a pretty good career, I think. And, you know, the Knicks certainly could have used them in the early 2000s all the way up until, I guess, when they were relevant again, which... Gosh, I guess, when was that? It's, <laughs> Maybe it's, it's been, 20, 2015, 2016. Yeah, it's been a while. I, yeah, I, mean, I don't yeah, want to, so. well, I say I don't want to uh, pile on, but I, I do enjoy piling on to the Knicks. But yeah, <laughs> it, it was a while before they were relevant. That's why, um, you know, that 2013 season, it was nice to see him in the Knicks uniform finally. And I really wanted his cards from that year. And I got the rainbow with the exception of the Black Prism, the two uh, one-of-ones, which our buddy has. <laughs> uh, he has both of them. But other than that, I do have the rainbow for that year of him in the Knicks uniform in, in every uh, every parallel. I guess the, the good thing is, is even though maybe his career didn't end quite the way we wanted it to, or his time in New York didn't go quite as we expected or, or we hoped for, we can kind of relive the the good days and those glory days with the cards in our PCs. Uh, speaking of which, as we close things out today, I want to learn more about a few of your favorite cards. So I ask you to make a list before we recorded. I know that's not always easy, but um, let's go ahead and, and go there. Let's go ahead and have you talk about those. Start with number three and then work your way up to number one. Um, yeah, this was a really tough choice. I never really ranked my card before, and it was really tough. I mean, I've got cards that I, I think are pretty, I, I mean, I've got several one-of-ones. I've got, you know, patch autos. I've got a lot of stuff that um, I considered, but uh, ultimately didn't make my top three. Right, so it feels like you're you're almost dissing them if you don't choose them, right? It, it's a weird feeling. Yeah, yeah. Like- like exactly. you're leaving them out, but th- they're still I great cards. Yes, absolutely. These are cards that to me meant the most. There, there was either a story behind it or I just liked the way it looked more than any other cards. Or you know, in some cases, it is the rarity, but not necessarily the rarest, the most valuable. Um, yeah, these cards um, all have a little bit of a story. I, I guess we'll start off at number three. Uh, this one is the 2006 Topps Chrome 1952 style gold refractor, um, number 225. The reason why this card means a lot is um, it goes back to my baseball collecting days. Back when I collected baseball, 
uh, 52 tops was the top of the mountain for, for most collectors. Uh, the mantle back in the day, you would see, you know, in the Beckett price guide, everything was in double figures, like $20, $60, $50. And then you see the mantle at $1,000. Mm-hmm. And that was a big draw for most collectors, baseball collectors, I should say. And the design was just, to me, it's iconic. It's something that, uh, you know, I'm so happy that Tops brought it back, not just for basketball, but also for football and baseball. They brought the design back for that year, 2006, Tops Chrome. And um, the, the Ron was, is, is very hard to get. I haven't seen one since I picked it up. It's numbered to 25, and that one made the list over my one-of-ones and, and everything else. Well, those are really tough to find. And yeah. um, I will say that the shine on those is unreal. And even yes. the uh, Topps Chrome would have been the 2005 from earlier that season. The Topps Chrome, that they seem kind of dull to me. And then these came out and they were, yeah. not only were they more limited, but they just looked a lot better. So yeah. um, the only regret I have, well, not regret, but the only complaint I have about that from my side of things is that was right after the Kings trade. So yes. he's not in a Pacers <laughs> uniform. It bothers right. me. Unfortunately, the top three I have, I don't I don't have one of him in a Pacers uniform. And, and to be honest with you, looking back at it now, I didn't like him when he was on the Pacers, but mm-hmm. my favorite cards of him probably were as a Pacer because that, that was when he was in his prime and he was just a very, very good player back in the day. In his prime, his prime was too short, but when he was at his best, yeah, I put up against anybody, really. He, he's guarded LeBron, Kobe, Jordan. He's guarded all of them. And to a man, they've all said, you know, Artest is, is one of the best players they, they faced. Um, so, you know, the, the Pacers years were the best, but, um, unfortunately I I don't have any of his cards in the top three. All right. So let's see what's your number two. My number two is the 1999 finest gold refractor. This was his rookie card, number 200 in a PSA 10. So this one, it's number 200. So it's not terribly rare. PSA 10 is, is uh, pretty rare. It's, it's a pop three. This was the first wrong card that I made a conscious effort to go after when I got back into the hobby. Yeah, I had a lot of Ron cards. Probably the lowest number one I had was number to 50. It was like an upper deck parallel, but I didn't have any really significant Ron cards uh, when I got back. I just had a lot of Ron cards. There's a lot of base, a lot of not too rare parallels or inserts. Um, so this is the one I went after. And it's a funny story about this one. Um, I found out later that this was previously owned by uh, our mutual friend, uh, Steve, uh, Vintage Pacers. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't yeah, know he, that. He, he reached out to me and said, you know, I, I used to own this card. I was like, oh, really? For all I know, I may have purchased it from him. I, I don't re- remember uh, the details. I know I got it after I came back to the hobby in 2020, but I, I picked it up. And um, yeah, it was, it was the number one card in my collection for the longest time. Uh, just the, the look of it, the, the design is gorgeous. I believe it's the first year gold refractors were numbered for finest. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to that, I, I don't think they were numbered. Um, so yeah, that, it, it's got some significance to me. Uh, and that being his rookie year, just, yeah, it makes it all the more important. And you sent me one of those too, didn't you? I did. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and I, did. I appreciate that. That's still, it's in my gold Ron binder. It's okay. the first card on that non-pacers page because I try yeah. to put things chronologically. So uh, I, I'd still appreciate that to this day. And oh, uh, no I'm problem, glad man. you got the PSA 10. That looks great. <laughs> yes. Thank uh, Steve for that too. <laughs> Shout out to Steve, friend of the yes. show. I didn't know that. I'm, I'm going to have to talk to him now and <laughs> maybe you could get one off. So you see what else he's got hidden in the archives <laughs> yeah, there. there. You go. All right, so it's it is going to be hard to top that, uh, you know, rookie refractor, gold refractor, PSA ten. But uh, let's hear what number one is. Okay, number one, and uh, you know, I, I will be after this uh, top three. I'll be accused of being a, a gold uh, refractor simp, but uh, <laughs> so be it. 
<laughs> this is number one. It's not a refractor, but it's the it's the gold prism uh, from 2012, also in a PSA 10. This is a pop one. So this card um, was the card that I've been chasing since I got back um, into the hobby. Um, I had crazy stories about how I got it uh, leading up to this purchase, I should say. And um, it started when I saw Binatron post his collection. And uh, he's got the whole Lakers set in the gold prism. And when I saw that and saw how the gold borders matched the Lakers uniform, it just made that my number one goal of uh, collecting wrong cards. Um, I was, it made it my personal mission to find it. I searched everywhere, every platform you could think of. I actually did a Google search and found an image of it. It was on a message board from Europe. I think it was France. That, was, okay. Everything was in French, and um, I had to. Is use it like Carte's Car Day NBA or something like that? Yes, I believe that was. Okay. Right. So I, I didn't yeah, honestly. I didn't look at the the board for any other other posts other than that one post with our test. And it turns out this collector had it in his collection. He was asking if it, if it was a valuable car. <laughs> this is 2020. Mind you, and I, and I was like, uh, okay, let me see if I could contact him and reach out to him, which I did. And uh, he was, uh, at first he said, no, it's a, it's a personal collection. And I had to accept that. I told him I'd check back with him maybe in a few months. Four months later, I did it again. He loosened up his stance a little. He said, you know what? I, I am a Kobe collector and also MJ Wizards collector uh, oh. of all things. Yeah. One the, yeah. One of the few. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, okay, you know, let me try and uh, <laughs> gather up MJ Wizards. I, I could do that. I mean, I know Kobe was really crazy expensive at the time, but it turns out MJ, you know, Wizards cards are pretty expensive as well. But I was gathering them with the hope to try to trade uh, with this gentleman from, from Paris. Which can um, be a, a risky endeavor sometimes. Oh, yeah. So I had my eyes on Pride. <laughs> <laughs> I was just gathering MJ Wizards cards like you wouldn't believe. Um, I have a stack of them now. Well, not now, but, the, you know, I did have a stack of my I've since, you know, gotten rid of most of them. But uh, I had a stack of them and uh, this card turned up on Golden, mm -hmm. um, a PSA 10. So I had to weigh my options there. The card that I saw on the best board was raw. I decided to, to just go for it and see what happens. And then uh, and we'll deal with the, the, the guy from Paris later. And then. Yeah, it's one of those rare cards that I actually uh, deployed the use of the Mega Bid. <laughs> okay. I, I wasn't going to let it slip by, and uh, I got it. And, uh, you know, not, and then I had to get rid of all the MJ Wizards cards <laughs> that, that I had stacked up. Uh, but, yeah, I was so happy to get This was last year before National 2022, uh, the summer of 2022. I've had it in my collection since. I, you know, every once in a while, I just take it out, put it on my desk, <laughs> and then look at it for a while. But uh, yeah, that's number one uh, by far, I think. And and not an easy card to locate. I know there was a kind of a rush of, of prisms during the pandemic that eventually surfaced. I guess guys were breaking up sets or whatever. I don't mm -hmm. remember seeing Ron a lot or, or, no, or any other no. than that one time, actually. So yeah. the fact that you tracked down two is pretty incredible. I got lucky. And like I said, there aren't a lot of our test collectors, but, you know, gold prism collectors there are. Right. Um, at the time, I overpaid for it, but you know, hopefully, it, it, it'll um, yeah be my collection forever. I won't have, ever have to worry about that. All right, Al. Well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to come on the show. Before I let you go, feel free to plug your social media handles, anything you might be working on, or anything specific you're looking for. The next few moments here are yours. Yeah, um, I'm at NYC Hoops underscore Collector. Uh, on Instagram. My buy, sell, and trade account with my brother is level underscore up underscore cards. Also on Instagram. As far as what I'm working on, I'm not really working on anything. I, I just keep uh, on the lookout for um, rare test cards. If you have anything that you think might 
be of interest, feel free to hit me up on DM. And I also want to take this opportunity to thank you, Kyle, um, not just for having me on, but also for uh, making this podcast uh, every week for the last, gosh, what, three years? Well, at least I've been listening for three years. Wow, yeah, almost yeah. Uh, about four and a half now, I think. Wow, wow. So well before I, I started listening. But uh, yeah, it, it's something that I think the hobby needs and, and the hobby is always is looking for educational stuff and, and entertaining stuff. And it's just important, I think, to collectors like myself. And I think I speak for a lot of other collectors as well. Well, I appreciate the kind words, Al. And, and once again, thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, there you have it. I want to thank Al again for coming on the show. We recorded that one a couple weeks ago. And it's funny, right when we finished up, Al headed to Madison Square Garden for the Knicks version of, of Fan Fest or whatever they call it. And guess who was playing in one of their Legends games? It was Ron Artest, or I guess Meta World Peace, I should say. I've been to probably 35 or 40 Pacers games overall, but I never got to see Ron play in person, not even a, a practice or a Fan Fest or anything like that. So needless to say, I was a little bit jealous. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed that one. If there was anything we talked about this week that resonated with you, feel free to reach out to me on social media. As usual, you can find me on Instagram under Podcast or X under the handle PC. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the website for my affiliate links. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. Podcast.